The Watership Down podcast is intended for listeners who are familiar with the plot. There may be spoilers. This episode is scripted by Newell Fisher, John Ruths and Leah McKayla, and is narrated, recorded and edited by Newell Fisher. It includes adapted text by John. Hello. And welcome to the Watership Down podcast, episode 102, in which we will be looking at the seventh and last story from part one of Tales from Watership Down, chapter seven, Speedwell's story. First, though, I've received a copy of the book Watership Down, Perspectives on and Beyond Animated Violence, edited by Dr Catherine Lester of the University of Birmingham. I've really been looking forward to reading this book on the 1978 film, and you can expect to hear a lot more about it in future episodes. There will be a link to the book in the notes. So then, on to Speedwell's story. Brace yourselves. Part 1, Chapter 7, Speedwell's Story The pre-chapter quote is from J.K. Galbraith, who lived from 1908 to 2006. Born in Canada, he eventually moved to the US. He was a diplomat, public official, but most importantly an economist, and he wrote a number of books on the subject. He served in the US government during the Second World War in the Office of Price Administration. The quote is a simple one, and really just means that it's okay to not take too many things too seriously. It is a nice quote, and fit, quite naturally fits this story. The concept of having a firm anchor in nonsense could be described as itself being an example of nonsense, but that was perhaps his point. The story seems to be Richard Adams' attempt at writing a farce, a story rooted in comedy and absurdity. We start off in our friendly and familiar honeycomb, and you'd have to suspect that it has at least partially recovered. Dandelion is complaining that he's always being asked to tell stories, and why doesn't Speedwell have a go at this? He adds that Speedwell tells almost as many jokes as Bluebell, and that, laid end to end, they ought to add up to a story. Speedwell agrees, on the condition no one interrupts him. This only adds to the fun, as some of our heroes are fairly ready to burst, and Adams plays this to the maximum. I've been dreading trying to summarise this story as, like a big tub of Lego tipped onto a floor, it is very complex, but not in a way that allows you to describe any overall structure. It is filled with things that those hearing it are not supposed to really believe, and is being told for comedic reasons. Some of the crazy things that happen refer to some of the El stories we've heard, things that could happen in legend but not in real life. Adams leaves no details out. A fox eating lettuce... Speedwell takes off his own head temporarily, and even Lucy the farm girl makes an important appearance. This adds yet another layer of nonsense, as Speedwell, and even Hazel, the only rabbit who met her, would have no logical way of knowing her name. To follow the narrative line as best I can. One day, the previous summer, Speedwell decides to get his fur cooled, bemoaning the fact it can't be taken off. Hawkbit tries interrupting, and fails. Speedwell sets off for the coolers. These seem to have been in the direction of Nuthanger Farm. I was tempted to think that these might be a reference to fridges or freezers that the rabbits had seen on their forays to the farm. However, these are not mentioned in the original novel, and I strongly doubt they have been back there since the Battle of Watership Down. 
Also, at the time the book was written and set, the late 60s and early 70s, I strongly doubt a farm such as Nuthanger would have had such things in places visible to a rabbit. Going down the hill, he finds butterflies that had been planted all over the iron tree, and uses some of these to fly to the farm. Once there, he sees a fox eating the lettuces, and finds a bucket to put him in. But it is full of nestlings who chase the fox away. With me so far? Speedwell plays with the bucket, but suddenly a badger emerges from it and isn't very happy. So, Speedwell takes off his head and rolls it away so the badger will chase after it. At that point, the farmer's little girl, not named yet, brings him a plate of carrots. Bluebell tries interrupting, again unsuccessfully. The carrots finished, Speedwell finds some hedgehogs arguing about who is the most prickly. He manages to annoy them by saying he is, but then finds his head in a puddle and puts it back on, which enables him to scare them off. Then Kihar arrives with three other seagulls. They annoy Speedwell, so he lifts himself into a lettuce tree by his ears. Having eaten the lettuces, he sees a stream and floats along it in a crocus, before remembering, in a rare moment of narrative continuity, that he was meant to be finding the coolers. Two strangely coloured horses agree to take him to them. Hawkbit now has a coughing fit and a further attempt to interrupt. Speedwell just waits patiently, then continues. At last, he arrives at the coolers on his sky-blue horse. Having finished there, and banged the foxes and badgers' heads together for saying nasty things about him, he gets back on the horse, which take him back, takes him back to his crocus boat, which they both get on. Then they meet the farmer's daughter again on the bank. Speedwell takes her for a ride on his horse. They arrive at a huge meeting of rabbits, who agree to make Speedwell their king, and Lucy, as she is now named, their queen. Having received these titles, and been covered in flowers and dandelion leaves, Speedwell digs a burrow for them both, and they sleep along with their horse. Then the owner of the horse and the farmer come looking for the horse and Lucy. Speedwell promises to visit Lucy whenever it rains honey and lettuce leaves, and ends his story with a nonsense poem that seems to reference chess, a nod perhaps to that master of nonsense, Lewis Carroll, who, oddly enough, has his Alice follow a crazy rabbit down a rabbit hole. Is it canon? Nah. Oh, I'm sorry, you want me to say more? Well, first of all, here are some thoughts from Leah McKayla. Quote, I do have a bit less to say as Speedwell's story, which is often the case with absurd stories. They're harder to pick apart since they seem to escape being pinned down for analysis, even if the stories themselves are fun. So, Speedwell's story is a tall tale or nonsense story to begin with. I was first thinking there might be some references to Alice in Wonderland or maybe Through the Looking Glass, especially with the poem in the end. I guess there's a dose of Baron Munchausen peppered in as well. Somehow, from the early readings, I remembered this would have been Bluebell's story. Speedwell doesn't get much mentioned, so it's easy to confuse even the little with some other character who is more vocal in, in more of the stories. End quote. Thank you for your comments, Leah, and I agree that this is a difficult story to get your teeth into. Here are some thoughts on the story from John Ruth's. Quote, why a silly story and why Speedwell? Speedwell was one of the rank-and-file rabbits with Hawkbit and Acorn filling out the other two of this group who left Sandalford. Were there any other rank-and-filers? Probably, and certainly later on. For example, I'd say that Boxwood was likely another one due to him coming from a farm and that he'd have no experiences that living nature would give him. 
Contrasting this are the others from Nuthanger who are does, so are quite important. They are, after all, does. The original rank-and-file rabbits don't contribute much early on. In fact, they actually cause a good bit of trouble early on. In spite of this, Richard Adams was much like Tolkien, in that he liked to create a sense of closure for each situation and each character. Adams was also a fan of the redemption arc. In this case, the rank-and-file rabbits get to redeem themselves from the unfortunately attempted semi-mutiny in Watership Down. In this way, Adams included additional details about each rank-and-file rabbit that came from Sandalford. At some point, Acorn was tussling around playfully with I can't remember who, but he was in better spirits. He was also very good at gathering in insects for Kihar. Hawkbit was the rabbit who discovered the temporary shelter on the watership down when he ventured up there with Hazel and Dandelion, and the latter referred to him as a duffer. Speedwell was the rank-and-file rabbit who kind of did the best. After being selected to make the trip to Nuthanger Farm, he cuffed the farm cat, and he was then one of the first watership down rabbits to get a doe. It makes sense that he'd get to tell a story such as the one here. This is Adams telling, letting us know that while he was a rank-and-file once, he is no longer. His travel along his redemption arc was successful. Adams cares about all of his characters. No expedition to a new warren will be completely made up of rabbits who are heroes. Some will be weaker, some will be slow, others not as smart, etc. Fiverr and Pipkin are certainly physically not strong, but each brings their own gifts. Fiverr has divination abilities and is the reason for the expedition leaving Sandalford in the first place. Pipkin is really the personification of loyalty, so neither of them could be called a rank-and-file member of the Warren in the same way as Speedwell, Acorn or Hawkbid. Adams cared enough to create those redemption arcs. Some are just simply passages, but they give the idea that each of the three had improved and become viable Warren members. Of these, Speedwell stands out the most, and this little farce proves this out, I think. Even though the story is about as nonsensical as it can get, it serves a greater purpose. Speedwell has earned the respect of his fellows. This story also shows that Speedwell has imagination and a sense of adventure. His story is not a long one, but it is probably unforgettable. Others will remember it and likely remark to others about it. One of the many interesting happenings in the beloved honeycomb. End quote. Thank you, John. Incidentally, duffer is a very mild and now outdated insult that is used twice in Warship Down. Once when the small group who first ascend the down think they have lost Hawkbit before they realise he has found the scrapes halfway up that almost certainly saved lives. And the second time when Hazel reprimands Bigwig for risking his life leading the fox away on, away on their way to Ephrafa. Like the word chap, it really dates the novel and perhaps gives away a bit of the social background of the author. These really are instances of the rabbits of Watership Down talking like army officers in World War II. And in a way, doesn't that sum up Hazel? After all, in the British Army, commissioned officers often come from a completely different background to those they are expected to command, though not a privileged one in Hazel's case. And it is a common theme for those in the ranks who have to earn promotion through those ranks to mock those officers who don't make the grade when in actual command. Indeed, it used to be possible to buy a commission in the British Army, a practice that was only finally abolished in 1971, the year before Watership Down was published. This may give a clue as to the kind of background officers often came from, and how often, perhaps, they didn't make the grade, having got them on the first rung by means of wealth rather than ability. This not making the grade must be the absolute dread of all new commissioned officers and would certainly have been the dread of Hazel, who had never been in an Owsler before leaving Sandalford, and yet rapidly finds himself in charge of seasoned Owsler members. 
Bigwig's resistance to the leadership of Hazel, I think, probably had its origin in the kind of disdain that commissioned officers can find themselves subjected to from the lower ranks. And, guess what? Richard Adams was a commissioned officer during World War II. More of this later. Speaking personally, I have never really been that keen on Speedwell's story and wondered what it was doing there. However, having just had two rather heavy stories, The Hole in the Sky and The Ghost Story, I suppose it acts as a bit of comic relief. There is also a theme that runs through the story of rabbit empowerment, which would be a logical sentiment for a vocal rabbit with a brain to match to express. Overall, though, for me, not canon, despite the appearance of Lucy, one of the two kind and named humans to appear in the original novel. Next time, having reached the end of section one of Tales from Watership Down, we pause to look at the life of Richard Adams. Mm -hmm.